Hey there, Up in Flames listeners. I'm your host, but more importantly, your advocate, Abby Bolt, and thank you for joining me again in this episode. I truly appreciate all the mentions, shares, likes, and emails to abby at upinflames.org. I'm also very grateful for all the reviews people are leaving online. I'd like to share with you one that caught my eye today. It's a little bit lengthy, but definitely worth it. It's titled The Struggle. The experiences shared in this podcast from Abby and the stories she shares of others are so relevant right now for those dealing with workplace environment issues, whether it's from a management perspective slash position or employee perspective slash position. I find myself quite often torn between doing what's humanely right for people, whether they screwed up or not, and following agency employer policies and protocols to reprimand employees. In the agency I work for, the processes are broken, slowly and only aligned to protect the agency, not the employee. The accused employee is always assumed guilty first, and then they have to fight tooth and nail to prove their innocence and or how they were poorly treated by intimidated, self-proclaimed leaders who solely rely on position power to wield their blows to the morale of those who serve under them. Abby does a great job calling it as she sees it and daylights individuals who choose the easy wrong over harder right. I believe we can all learn and benefit from Abby's personal experience, as well as the experience and stories she shares of others who have endured a poor workplace environment. There's as much value in learning from what not to do as there is in learning from best practices. Thank you, Jax22, for taking those several moments to write that review. It's greatly appreciated. If you like what I'm doing here and you want to support this podcast, go to patreon.com slash upinflamespodcast. You can also find the link in the show notes. Really, just look at it like buying a cup of coffee once a month to support Up in Flames. Now, for today's episode, I got some folks a little fired up on one of my Facebook groups this morning. And that kind of charged me to want to talk about something. Transparency. When is being transparent too transparent? And the really big question is defamation. When is defamation of character actually occurring? So let's talk actual definition of defamation. And I get this from nolo.com. They have all kinds of legal advice on there. Defamation law tries to balance competing interests. On one hand, people should not ruin others' lives by telling lies about them. But on the other hand, people should be able to speak freely without fear of litigation over every insult, disagreement, or mistake. Political and social disagreement is important in a free society, and we obviously don't share the same opinions and beliefs. For instance, political opponents often reach opposite conclusions from the same facts, and editorial cartoonists often exaggerate facts to make their point. The defamation of character is a catch-all term for any statement that hurts someone's reputation. Written defamation is called libel, while spoken defamation is called slander. Defamation is not a crime, but it's a tort, a civil wrong rather than a criminal wrong. A person who has been defamed can sue the person who did the defaming for damages. What does the victim need to prove to establish defamation? The law of defamation varies from state to state, but there are some general accepted rules. If you believe you've been defamed, to prove it, you usually have to show there's been a statement that is all, not just some, all of the following. Number one, published. Number two, the big one, false. Number three, injurious. And number four, unprivileged. So let's look at each of these defamation claim elements in detail. First, the statement can be spoken, written, pictured, or even gestured. Because written statements last longer than spoken statements. Number two, published, means that a third party heard or saw the statement. That is, someone other than the person who made the statement or the person the statement was about. Published doesn't necessarily mean that the statement was printed in a book. It just has to have been made public through, let's say, social media, television, radio, speeches, gossip, or even loud conversation. Of course, it could have been in written magazines, books, newspapers, leaflets, or on picket signs. Number three, 
a defamatory statement must be false. Otherwise, it's not considered damaging. Let me say that again. The statement must be false. Even terribly mean or disparaging things are not defamatory if the shoe fits. Most opinions don't count as defamation because they can't be proved to be objectively false. For instance, when a reviewer says, that's the worst book I've read all year, she's not defaming the author because the statement can't be proven to be false. Number four, the statement must be injurious. Since the whole point of defamation law is to take care of injuries to reputation, those suing for defamation must show how the reputations were either hurt by the false statement, for example, the person lost work, was shunned by neighbors, friends, or family members, or was harassed by the press. Someone who already had a terrible reputation most likely won't collect much in a defamation suit. Number five. Finally, to qualify as a defamatory statement, the offending statement must be unprivileged. Under some circumstances, you cannot sue someone for defamation even if they make a statement that can be proved false. For example, witnesses who testify falsely in court or at a deposition can't be sued, although witnesses who testify to something they know is false could theoretically be prosecuted for perjury. Lawmakers have decided that in these and other situations, which are considered privileged, free speech is so important that speakers should not be constrained by the words that they will be sued for defamation. Lawmakers themselves also enjoy this privilege. They aren't liable for statements made in the legislative chamber or in official materials, even if they say or write things that would otherwise be defamatory. So the big piece to everything that I'm doing is integrity and honesty. And no matter what I say, what I do, what I write, if it's something that is coming from me, it's because I have proof behind it. I'm not about to say, write, or have anything to do with defaming someone if I can't back it up. No one will be able to take me to court and say, that's not true, because I will have the evidence to show that it was, and the witnesses to back it up. Now, when it comes to all these harassment cases that are in court or at employers, there's often all sorts of policies that cover confidentiality. But are those policies actually protecting the victims or the harassers? I truly feel that most often it's covering the harassers much more than the victim. Because if we talked about it a lot more, a lot less of it would actually happen. I'd like to share with you a quote. In 1913, U.S. Supreme Court Justice Louis D. Brandes stated, Publicity is justly commended as a remedy for social and industrial diseases. Sunlight is said to be the best of disinfectants. And that was back in 1913. This concept isn't new. Transparency truly is key. If criminals hear about what other criminals do and how they got in trouble, it makes them think twice before they do it. Might not stop them, but it does make them think twice. We need to start treating our workplace harassment issues the exact same way. And we are. I think we're definitely coming ahead on all of that. But like when I posted some stuff this morning, it wasn't even that colorful. You know, people started to get nervous. Maybe a lot of people are nervous that they're going to be named. Sustainable change can only come from transparency. Without it, there won't be any trust. Employers who've already burned too many people have lost the luxury of simply saying, trust us, we'll take care of you. Unless their track record is squeaky clean, they need to do it differently. They need to be going outside of the box moving forward. I didn't say comfortably, I said differently. The question all employers should be asking themselves is, What would happen to our reputation for potential employees, clients, customers, the public in general, if word got out that we had cases of discrimination and harassment happening? Then the true leaders should be asking, what would happen to our reputation if we don't own up to it and actively work to combat harassment and discrimination? Key term is own up to it. Be transparent. Admit, yes, we've screwed up. Yes, we've done this wrong. Yes, we're going to do different. How do we become transparent and show that we're doing something creative about it? 
and not just throwing another contracted corporate training or poster thread up on the wall to the people. Now, when I went through my EEOC case and it came to the end, one of the last things that I looked in the eye of the judge sitting there with agency attorneys and my attorney, and what I asked him was, do I have the rights to everything that has happened to me, to everything that I have experienced, to all of my legal documents, to all of the depositions, to all the evidence in these six extremely thick binders? And the answer from the judge with a smile on his face was, yes, Ms. Bolt, you sure do. Now, what if all the people in my situation took that approach, knowing that all the information that had been shared in reports, documents, everything that had been talked about with investigators, what if they looked at that as shareable? What if they looked at it as transparent? Who would feel like they have the upper hand? The one being harassed or the harasser? It's something to put some thought into. I know it's been on my mind for a long time. My goal is to shift the way that things are being done, to make sure that people realize that things are going to be transparent, that any lies that they tell in any sort of a report or an investigation are going to come out, and that any sort of lies that they tell in these investigations are going to come out, if not this year, in the future. People need to be speaking to investigators, writing their emails, conducting their meetings in a manner that they realize that other people are going to hear about. If you can't hold a meeting or talk to someone thinking that maybe it's all going to be recorded and going to be put out there for others to hear, then you need to think twice about what you're saying and ask yourself, am I doing the right thing? So that's my two cents today on transparency and defamation. So many people that see others being called out, they immediately think either if it's about them, ooh, I'm going to sue that person for defamation. Or they'll see somebody calling something out and say, oh, they're going to get in so much trouble. You know what? No, they're not. Not unless they're telling lies. But you cannot sue someone for telling the truth. You can't. And you sure as heck have to be able to prove that it's a lie to get a judge to even look your way. So let's keep doing it together. Let's keep being transparent about issues happening in the workplace. Let's keep sharing them. And then let's see if we can't cause a shift. Let's shift that to where the people that are hiding in the dark aren't the ones that are trying to do the right thing. So come along with me. Help me produce this podcast. Go to patreon.com slash up in flames and become a patron. Be a part of it. And remember, always choose the hard right over easy silence. The court system will back you up.